You're listening to another New Hope Chapel podcast. This message is from our series on Romans, presented by Steve Coleman. Good morning, and uh, appreciate Carlene's message. Uh, If you were listening carefully, I think you got most of what Paul wanted to get across this morning. But we are going to talk our way through uh, Romans chapter 14. There are some places where Paul uh, uses a few words, and you're tempted to spend three weeks talking about it because of the difficulty, the challenge of what he says. There are other places where he spends a lot of words, and there's a lot in this chapter, but I think there's really three really important principles that come out of this whole chapter, and I think if we hit those, we will find that we've covered most all that we need. Uh, I want to thank Josh. He's covering the soundboard this morning. Kind of a unique experience. To It's always a unique experience up here because I'm mostly used to looking at the backs of your heads. And to see faces is is just like uh, very different. Uh, I was able to sit in the audience and just sing. And that was kind of nice. And then I get to hear the announcements where they want people to cover the soundboard. So in case this is my last Sunday speaking, being in this church, um, it's been nice being here. For you children in the audience, that means I'm losing my job. But uh, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Steve Coleman. I'm an elder here at New Hope Chapel. I'm a member of the teaching team, and I also do the soundboard. Uh, so it's nice to have you here. You know, the first century church brought a new experience to those that love God. Uh, they came into this uh, body of Christ, this family of God, with new a new freedom that did not exist in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they were a nation that existed under the Mosaic Law, a very external representation of God's kingdom and God's work. When the New Testament came, that kingdom went inside, underground, if you will. The kingdom of God is within you. And there's nothing except for a building like this to indicate the work that God is doing in our hearts, the worship that we give him, or the service that we do. Well, what happened in the first century is they had a real challenge. They had a challenge in learning what to do with this brand new freedom. They had another part of this challenge, and Carlene was emphasizing that in her children's message, but they had to learn how to live and operate in this free environment with others. How do I get along with other freed believers? The rules aren't explicit in the New Testament. New Testament's a, a book with a lot of principles in it. The Old Testament had laws, and the Jews went ahead and developed other documents that sort of expound on those laws. What really it meant when it said you can't do work on the Sabbath. How many steps can you take? Exactly what can you do before you've worked? In the New Testament, we don't have that. In Galatians, uh, Paul sums up part of this, and part of the responsibility comes with this freedom. He says in Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressed itself through love. 
You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Romans, in the early chapters, outlined the path of salvation, the dilemma we were in, the salvation provided by God, the theology behind it, and the freedom that results, the transformation that came to us, uh, what it meant to have new life in Christ, what it meant to have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Having laid that whole foundation out, Paul, in chapters 12 and on here now to 14 and through chapters 15, is talking about very practical issues and practical matters. And the, the issue he tackles here, and it spills over a little bit into 15, so I think there'll be a little overlap with what Justin says tomorrow, but it dovetails nicely, is what do we do with this freedom? How do we operate in a body where you have Jews who loved God, responded when the message of the Messiah came to them, either while Christ was on earth or in the years subsequent, who worship God and love God, through their conviction to continue to uh, observe the uh, the various rituals in the Old Testament, but doing it with a new in a new way with new life. Then you have Gentile believers who have come out of idolatry, where their activities connected with temple worship that had nothing to do with worshiping the true God, and were pretty bad stuff things that they wanted to get as far away from as possible. Other folks who were not tied into the, the Greek idolatry system or, or kept it at arm's length, who saw no problem with things like food that had been sacrificed to idols and now was being sold in the market at a reduced price because of that, of eating that. To Jews, that was horrifying. How can you worship the Lord and have that kind of attitude? So it was a bigger problem than you might think. But the problem has continued to the 21st century. Because the problem that Paul's addressing is not that different people have different ideas on how they can best worship the Lord or how a good believer should be worshiping the Lord. But the problem was they carried it a step further. And in their head and in their speech, they were judging each other. Well, does that happen today? Maybe we don't need to study this except from a historical perspective. But I know from my life it's true. So easy to look at somebody else and say, well, I'm glad I'm not as bad as that. I'm okay. I'm better than that. I'm still working to get here. Uh, or that person, I cannot believe they slighted me. I cannot believe. They are just the worst people on the planet. Judging is a problem. Let's read. Start reading in, in Romans 14, 1. I'll have the text up here for you to follow. Listen to it with that in mind. Accept the one who is weak in faith without quarreling or dis over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? One of three times that Paul comes down 
and says, don't judge. And in this case, what he's saying to us is, don't judge somebody else's servant. Now, we'll get back to that point in just a minute. But what does he mean by judging? What is this idea? Because the Bible uses that word in a couple of different contexts and ways. When we're told not to judge, it's in the context of hypocritically. And we often remember it in terms of that very pithy sort of turn of a phrase of, of Christ about don't remove, try to remove the speck of sawdust in your neighbor's eye when you've got a beam in your own eye. Now here's a cartoon, two guys on the left-hand side, one guy with an obvious beam problem in his eye, and there's a third guy on the right saying, ha ha, you just told him he has a splinter in his eye and you have a beam in yours. The problem with the guy on the right is he's got a whole tree trunk growing out of his eye. So that puts it in context for us. We all have our beams. We all have our problems that influence us. At the same time, in the Bible, Christ commanded his disciples to judge carefully. Be careful how you do that. Church leaders are required to protect congregations from false teachers and from false teaching and to discern very carefully where the truth lies. If a believer sees another believer sinning, it's his Christian duty to lovingly and respectfully talk to them about that sin. It's not the type of judging referred to in Romans 14, but rather pointing out the truth in hope and with the ultimate goal of bringing repentance to the other person and restoration to fellowship. We talk about speaking the truth in love, and we've had a message on that in a recent series. So speaking the truth, judging in the sense of being very clear and discerning and understanding is not the problem. The problem is how we deal with other people and what we say to ourselves, what that inner thought is. You know, we proclaim God's word and what it says about sin. We do that here at New Hope Chapel. Second Timothy, the instruction is preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Well, how do we know if we're straying toward the bad kind of judging and not this good kind of judging? Well, there's a quote that I always keep in mind, and it's a, it's a very helpful guide. Uh, one tip, though, when our comments tend to put the other person down rather than being aimed at restoring them, we're starting to flirt with that. But the quote I like is, I'm grateful that I'm not as judgmental as all those critical self-righteous people around me. You've, you've fallen in the hole if you think that. But we have to be on our guard because there's a huge temptation to judge. And there's a lot of factors in, the, in this environment that we're in and with who we are that encourage that. You know, we are an achievement-oriented society. In our military, we, we give out uh, stripes and bars and stars to show just exactly who's in the hierarchy and who's higher than who in that hierarchy. We have, um, we have pay grades and rates. You get this much money because you're doing this kind of job. You get that money because you're doing that kind of job. Uh, we're in a results-oriented kind of environment. We're looking for results. Maybe you're under a, a program that pays for performance. 
Love that phrase. Results-oriented or achievement-oriented society. It's very important where we sit on the pecking order. It's very important where we are. That's where we live here. It's very different from the Eastern mindset, but it's something that is part of the pressure we feel then as we look, as we think in terms of our spiritual life and in terms of what's happening there. We want to feel good about ourselves. Now, the big problem is humankind, as Romans clearly talked about, has been corrupted by sin. And one of the things that does is it puts us on a very insecure platform in terms of our feelings. We all want to feel good about ourselves. We all don't feel very good about ourselves. We all know, know that we're deficient. We all know we're not as we feel. We're afraid. We're not as if everybody knew who we really were, they would put us at the bottom of the heap. They would turn their backs on us in horror. And we have that. Now, God has a a program for that. It's not the, the purpose of this message to talk about it. But God meets all those needs for us and in us. He makes us complete. And with that completeness, we can then go out and, and, and be givers and minister. But if you feel that part of you getting tugged in a scenario, it could be that that's one of the things driving you to be tempted to judge. We have a naturally flawed perspective. It doesn't matter who you are. It is extremely difficult to... Uh, to judge somebody else and judge yourself with the same standards. Because we tend to judge ourselves by our intentions, and we tend to judge other people by their behaviors. We give ourselves a break, naturally. We want to feel in and not out. We're social creatures. So uh, we do not want to be shunned. We do not want to be the person that's out. Uh... And we feel out a lot. A lot of times, it's, uh, we're, we're, everybody else thinks we're in, and we think we're out, and we're kind of struggling to get in. An easy way to get in is to identify somebody who's really out. Oh yeah, they're, they're really out. That makes me in, because I can say they're out. And uh, if you think at any time you think you're out here at New Hope Chapel, that you're not on the inn, uh, it's, it's not true. New Hope Chapel Church family, we are a family. We want, the leaders want, I know many of the people outside of leadership want nothing more than for us to be a, a tight, cohesive group. Cohesive but a group that readily attaches to folks that walk through that door. So if you feel out, you sh- we, we don't want you to feel that way, and something's not right somewhere, please come and talk to me or talk to one of the elders. But we do have that feeling, and that drives us. Uh, it it's makes it our nature to be judgmental. It's not just beliefs and doctrines, but all these choices that we make. All these other decisions. And if we add to that list those times we feel we've been slighted or insulted, the list is huge. Well, let's pick up where we left off 
uh, in 14.4, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. You know, God's working in us, and He's working in all the other believers that are in our lives to create what He wants. This doesn't mean that we're going to understand the work that He's doing, or the work that's being done. But it is happening. You know, there was an old show, and I, I, I this is just going to be fun for me, uh, because... Um, it isn't the most up-to-date illustration. So, show of hands. Oh, nuts. Do not judge. He, she's someone else's servant. Oh, is this coming up? There it is. Leave it to Beaver. <laughs> Whoever saw Leave it to Beaver? Oh, you young people that get it on YouTube or where. Where did you see it? YouTube? On TV? TV Land. Oh, that's right. That's right. Wow, that's the embalming fluid for all old shows. Leave it to Beaver. It's not, uh, it's gotten old for that. Leave it to Beaver was the wacky, zany activities of a family of four, mostly focused on the youngest. But the elder boy, uh, the guy, the guy, uh, the older one there, Wally, one episode, he had the opportunity, was, was uh, offered the opportunity, I think, to be like an assistant manager at this little gas station on the corner, like his first big job beyond delivering papers. And he showed up the first day, had his shirt on and his tie and everything, and the guy said, yeah, I, I need you to clean out the grease pit, you know. And then the next day, you know, he come in and he said, yeah, the yard, there's a bunch of old tires and stuff, I need to get those out and down. All this grunt work for three days. And he kept coming home more and more discouraged. And finally, the third day, he's sitting at the dinner table, and he's saying, I'm going to go quit tomorrow because this is not what I signed up for as assistant manager. And, of course, you probably guessed because it's a plot of a theme that occurs so many times in movies and TV since. But he shows up that uh, he comes home from work after the fourth day, and the dad says, well, did you, did you quit? And he's beaming <laughs> in his new little uniform. He said, no. He said, I'm... I've got the uniform, I'm the assistant manager now. And what that garage owner was doing was testing his character, working him to make sure he had the work ethic, to make sure he had the right attitude to work, and and then he was assistant manager material. Well, that's what God's doing in us. He works and works, uh, and he softens our hearts, and he changes us. But you know what? We're all on different career paths. We all have different curriculums that God has us on. I have a, I have a friend. Uh, I, I spent, um, God softened my heart for people in the 1970s. In the 1980s, uh, late 80s, early 90s, I was fired from two jobs. So with my back against the wall, young family, I'm trying to find another job in two, two different instances, lost two good jobs. Uh, in, in the 2000s, I had clinical depression, which really hammered both losing jobs and clinical depression hammered my sense of dependency. And uh, God drove me and taught me in that area. Now, I have an, a friend who's been a Christian about about 20 years. And he has a dependency on Christ that I admire. Uh, it would inspire you if, you if you saw him and talked to him. But you know what? He's hard on people. 
Well, what happened? Did he miss those early lessons that I got? No. God's working with him. God's working with him on his own track, working on his character in a different order than he's working on mine. So while it's so easy for me to say, well, you know, yeah, you're, you're coming along in that dependency, but you know, you're just not, not there with people. But I'm not looking at the whole picture. I'm not looking at what's going to happen. And God's promise is incredible. He says, to their own master, servant, stand or fall. He's talking about believers and that each one has their own connection to him. And he says, and they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. That's incredible. What an incredible promise. They will stand because the Lord's going to make them stand. Well, we're going to stand too because the Lord's going to make us stand. But the point is, why are you judging them? God's working with them and he's going to make them stand. It'll be okay. And he's going to make me stand. Here's a couple of verses. Well, again, we're, uh, he, she is someone else's servant. We got that. Um, here's, here are these, here are three verses just to kind of poke at that. Second Timothy 1, 2, for I know whom I've believed and am convinced that he's able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Good. Better is Romans 8, 29. Those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the target. That's what we're moving toward. And it's going to happen. Jude 24. To him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. And that's true of us, you, each one of us, but it's also true of all these people that annoy you, that are around you, or people that just simply have differences in the way they think they should be running uh, their Christian life and they think you should be running your Christian life. But we need to keep in mind the goal is Christ-likeness. God's working it and he says they're all going to get there. All right, in the, in the next section, section 2 of Romans 14, Paul writes this, one person considers one day more sacred than another. And another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died for this very, okay. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so we might, he might be the Lord of both dead and living. You then, why do you judge your brother and sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat. Second reason, do not judge. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So not only is this person somebody else's servant, so keep your paws off, but we're all going to stand before the judgment seat. All of us need to be working toward, and it's an ideal, it's what God is calling us to. And that is, what we eat, we eat for the Lord. What we don't eat, 
we don't eat for the Lord. What we do is for the Lord. We're His, and that's what we're working toward, and we're all working toward this goal of Christ-likeness. I love that verse. Each should be fully persuaded in their own mind. Paul's not saying, okay, you people just drop it. Drop these silly convictions you all have. Forget about it. He doesn't say that. You should know your convictions. You should have them and you should hold them. And they should be important to you because as you do them, you're doing them to the Lord. And he's using those things in your life to transform you. Just don't get uptight if there's other people who aren't sharing those same convictions and yet are trying to serve the Lord. Keep those thoughts out of your head and those words off your tongue about judging them, says Paul. Because you're all going to stand before the judgment seat. Now, he says you're all going to stand before the judgment seat. You take, you place that up on the board without talking about, thinking about the rest of this chapter, and it sort of sounds like you're all going to stand before the judgment seat. Don't think you're getting away. But I think the context is different. If you, if you read Paul here, I think his whole point is that's the focal point. That's where we're going. That's where it's going to all end up. In the same way as he said in the earlier section, he will stand. He's telling us here, we're all going there. We're all going to stand before Christ. And when we do, we're going to become like him. For we'll see him as he is, it says in 1 John. It go, you know, we, we so like measures. I should have put that on that other slide too. As a, something that drives us. We love measures. I don't know why we do. It has give, gave me 14 or more years of pain when I was in school. Those grades. Everybody's interested. Get, give me that grade. Turn in this paper and get everything right. But we love those, we love measures. We're always, and we, when we turn and think about God, we try to boil Him down to measures. Okay, you gotta read the Bible every day. And that's a good thing. It's not a rule, it's not a measure, it's not a box to check off. It's a means to an end. The end is Christ's likeness. The end is the goal we're going to. We always want to think of God in those terms as the great auditor. He's not. He's the great lover. We try to humanize God, but He instead wants to godify us. You know, there's an incident uh, in the siege of Savannah in 1779, Revolutionary War. Of course, the French were helping us. There was a legion, a group of French soldiers under a colonel, Colonel Dillon. can't remember his first name. But he wanted the men to push forward and breach the defenses of the fort. The British held the fort. I will offer a hundred guineas to the first, bra- first to brave the hail of British gunfire and leap the trench. Not a man moved. The colonel started berating the outfit there for their cowardice. And a sergeant major stepped forward. Had you not, sir, held out a sum of money as temptation, your grenadiers would, one and all, have presented themselves. With this, the soldiers to a man advanced. Of the 194 men in the group, only 90 were to return. Now, those soldiers understood bravery. 
They understood loyalty. They understood sacrifice. But frankly, the language of a financial reward kind of confused them. Because there's nothing about that. Just like those soldiers, our purpose and motivation for living, in living, is for God and not for a specific reward, but to express our gratitude, our love, our identification, and in response to his transformation of our lives. The third point, the third section, talks about do not judge. Instead, focus on peace and mutual edification. Stop looking for differences and start looking for ways to connect. Start looking for ways to build other people up. Let's read this last section. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind, decision of the will there, to not put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know to be, know is good to be eat, spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I'll catch up with you. Because... Um, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. I, I, I don't think there's a lot to say with that. It is interesting to note. Again, Paul is not entirely one-sided here. He's not saying, don't do anything that's ever going to offend another believer anywhere around. And he makes, he elaborates on this in 1 Corinthians 8 and I think 1 Corinthians 10 where he talks about meat, specifically meat sacrifice to idols. And he talks about the need for sort of both sides to understand there is freedom in Christ and there's freedom for people to to, to chase, to sort of pursue different paths. But he has a little balancing statement in here too. He talks about being careful not to destroy a brother and sister in Christ. Not to uh, cause their faith to collapse. This isn't offending somebody. This is destroying somebody. Particularly a young believer. But he also says here, he says, uh, don't I can only remember that other phrase, don't let your evil be, your good be evil spoken of. That's either the old translation or it's from another part of the Bible. But I've lost track of it. What verse? 16? Therefore, do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. The freedom in Christ is a true freedom. And we shouldn't, we should be careful not to err on the side 
of um, uh, of um, reigning in that freedom, uh, uh, betraying that freedom that Christ died for for us. You know, there is um, there's a a, car, uh, uh, a cartoon comic strip. That's what I'm thinking of. Called Family Circus, which is sort of the adventures of this couple, and they have a whole bunch of rascally children that are always kind of getting into things. But there are always that philosophical, poignant moments that show up. And in um, in this one particular strip, a boy goes and he, he sees these two fish in a fish bowl. And they're swimming around, sort of chasing each other's tail, you know, as they do in the comics. And uh, so this little fish bowl, and he he looks very concerned. And he runs over, and he fills the bathtub full of water. And he carries this fishbowl over to it and dumps the water and the fish into this bathtub. And then he looks perplexed because they're there in one corner of the bathtub swimming in a circle. You know, we were dumped into a bathtub. Freedom from sin and the freedom to serve are the hallmarks of new life in Christ. How do we live in a live and function in a family of God when there's some swimming in the whole bathtub and there's others that feel more comfortable staying in one section or another. We know the way we live is very carefully with an attitude of encouraging and building up others and restraining ourselves from judging thoughts and judging words come from our mouths. Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples, and He is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.